loving this new series. I uh, had great feedback from last week, and it's simply entitled, God's Got It. And if you like, maybe a subline, God's got you. If he's got it, whatever it is in your life, he's got you. And last week we dealt with this massive topic of dealing with failure and saw some of the greats out of the Bible had failed. They didn't get it right the first and some even not even the second time. And that God will always lift you up. And this morning I want to deal with the topic of dealing with doubt. And whether it's failure, shame, doubt, uh, these things seem like giants in our lives at times. But God's got it. He's got an answer. He's got a way forward with you, for you. You see, at some point in our lives, we all experience times of doubt. And it may not be about the existence of God, although for some, that may be your experience. It may not even be about the authority and the reliability of Scripture, believing that the Word of God is breathed on, inspired, and contains not just the Word of God, but is the Word of God alive and quick and can speak into your life and your circumstance. And you could be experiencing doubt, and it could be around just this thing, God, where are you? I've prayed, I've fasted, I've taken counsel. I'm in a wilderness experience. We're just finishing today an incredible seven-day devotional by John de Bevere about going through a wilderness experience. Some great things there. If you didn't hook onto it, you can hook onto it now. But this question, God, do you really care about me? Do you really care about what's going on in my life? Because if you did, you would help me. And I can't see your hand. I don't seem to be able to hear your voice. Well, do you know that I'm struggling? Do you know that I'm in pain? And it may not be something that's enveloping your whole life. Although for some, that may be the case. It could be that it's just an area of your life. But do you know what it's like if one part of your body hurts you, damage your finger or something, your whole body gets affected by it. And it's the same when we've got a nagging doubt about... God, does He care? Is He there? Is He listening? Will He help? It ends up affecting our whole life. I love what Selwyn Hughes said, and some of you may be familiar with that name. He has been writing for decades now, an incredible daily devotion called Every Day with Jesus. But he said this about doubts. Doubts can be valuable if they motivate us to search deep and long for answers. So instead of being troubled by doubts, to actually embrace your doubt because it's a part of life, it's a part of what happens in the human experience, and say, this gives me an opportunity to search out an answer. This gives me an opportunity to lean into God and to enter His Word and find some answers for these things that are troubling me. You see, do you have doubts? Of course you do. Even the most firm believer occasionally has these doubts and you're not alone in that. You're in good company with people like Thomas. We even call him Doubting Thomas. Personally, I think it's a little bit unfair. But John the Baptist doubted and we're going to land in that story in a few moments. Peter doubted. Elijah doubted and wished he was dead because he felt so isolated in a moment of exhaustion that he thought it would be better to die than to continue to live. 
But all of them encountered God somewhere. All of them leaned forward rather than pulling back. And they found answers and they were strengthened in their faith and they were then able to help others. And I want you to hang on to that thought. You leaning into the doubt, you leaning into God in the middle of a doubt will actually not only strengthen your faith, but you'll become a blessing to somebody else. But when we talk about doubt, there's about seven or eight words in the scripture that is translated doubt. And some of it has to do with wonder, to be in awe. But we're talking about that nagging thing called doubt. So let's just define it a little bit. The Latin word for doubt has its origin in something that means two things. And to believe or to have faith is to be of one mind. In other words, I know what I believe, I'm fixed on it, and I'm pressing forward based on what I believe. But to be in doubt is to have two minds. And it's in this way that James uses it. And we'll come to that in a moment. But doubt splits your mind and it's an awful place to be in. Even though we all experienced, where you're torn between two things, where, where your mind is literally divided. That's the biblical word for doubt that we're talking about this morning. I love something that a guy called Alistair McGrath said, and this just made me laugh, even though I can identify with it, and I'm sure you will as well. He said, doubt is like an attention-seeking child. Now, I know your children, if you have them, are perfect in all their ways. We're talking about other people's children. You know that moment in the shopping center or somewhere else? That, that doubt can be like that uh, nagging thing that just won't go away. It's there. And just when you think you've got it sorted, it comes back again. But just quickly on this, doubt is not the opposite of faith. And that should set somebody free right there. The opposite of faith is unbelief. And unbelief is a choice. Doubt is a wrestling match that you're involved in that'll either take you onward to faith, stronger, with greater conviction, with greater assurance, or you will choose to let your doubt lead you into unbelief. You see, doubt is not neutral. It's going somewhere. And you'll either doubt towards unbelief or you will doubt towards faith. And in the middle of that, God can encounter you. So your doubt leads you to greater faith, strengthening yourself and being then able to help others. James says this, and he uses this word doubt as he being double-minded, having divided thoughts. He says, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like the wave of a sea being blown and tossed by the wind. And we've all experienced that. In those moments of doubt, whether it's doubting God, doubting somebody else, doubting a work situation, and it kind of just grabs your mind and it tosses it this way and that way because you are not of a single mind. You've got a divided mind and you're tossed between the two and it's an unpleasant experience. And Satan loves to magnify our doubts and make them into something bigger than they really are. Now, remember, doubt can lead to unbelief. That's not good. But doubt, if you encounter God, if you lean into the doubt, will lead you to greater faith. And Satan loves to use doubt to trap you. 
And the first kind of doubt I want to talk about that becomes a trap is the expectation trap. And John the Baptist, remember I mean, Jesus called him the greatest of all the prophets, the Old Testament prophets. And John the Baptist is the one who with great confidence announces that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. But we pick up the story a little bit later. Matthew 11, verse 2 to 3. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about these things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? And I want you to catch this, this great man of God struggling. He was the one that announced, this is he, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now he's going, am I right? Because he's been arrested by Herod, he's been imprisoned and he's about to be executed. And now in prison, in this darkness, he's struggling with doubt. He's isolated, he's emotionally drained. And in his mind, Jesus is not living up to his expectations. And when you're isolated, when you have a prison perspective about your life, it'll always lead you to doubt and anxiety. But I want you to catch this. God doesn't always live up to your expectations, but He always lives up to His Word. He always lives up to His promises. He always lives up to His character. He always lives up to His Word. He doesn't always live up to your expectations, but He does live up to His Word. And so Jesus doesn't answer the question when John's disciples come. He doesn't answer it straight away. And He he lets them see Him do miracles and talk to the people and teach. And then He turns to them and He says, go and tell John what you see and hear. Go and tell him and list the miracles. And notice this, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. You see, Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. When I don't answer you the way you expected, the way you planned, the way you prayed, when I am doing something different that's greater than your expectation, different to expectation, Jesus says, blessed is the one who's not offended at me, who doesn't stumble at the way I work in your life. Somebody said that this is the forgotten beatitude. Because if you can hang on to this, you'll be blessed. In the middle of the doubt, in the middle of God, you're not living up to my expectations. If you stay unoffended, you will see the blessing of God poured out into your life. The second one is the circumstance trap. And Jesus uh, sends the disciples across the Sea of Galilee. He stays behind And then he comes walking on the water in the midst of a storm. And we know the story. Peter calls out, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. And we pick up the reading, Matthew 14 and 29 and following. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the the side of the boat and walked on water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord. He shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt of me? Why did you doubt me? Why did you doubt my word? 
that told you to come and you walked. And let's celebrate that before anybody criticizes Peter. He walked on water, the others didn't. But that little phrase, oh, you have little faith. And many of us feel convicted, condemned by that. Oh, I've only got a little bit of faith. But Jesus said, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could command a mountain to be cast into the sea and it would obey you. And the word little there is not size, but duration. And somebody needs to hear that today. You've got enough faith to get through your circumstance, to get through this doubt. What God wants you to do is just hang in there to endure with faith, to be steadfast in your faith. And the doubt thing is again this picture of being torn between two things. And faith is not based on what we see. Faith is based on what God says, His Word. Because you notice initially Peter's walking on water on the authority of the Word of Jesus come. But then something distracts him. He sees a wave towering over him out of the corner of his eye. He hears the wind and he takes his eyes off Jesus and onto the circumstance. And sometimes that's what happens to us. The circumstance becomes so big, so noisy, so overwhelming that we take our eyes off Jesus and we begin to doubt. And I love the way that Jesus immediately rescued him as there was this prayer, help me. Jesus is there to help him and he'll do that for you today. Never let the presence of a storm in your circumstance cause you to doubt the presence of Jesus. You may not be able to control your situation. You cannot control a lot of things in life, but you can keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Hebrews 12 and verse 2, and I'm reading it from the Passion Translation, but the concept stands up in no matter what translation you read it in. We look away from the natural realm. The Amplified Bible says, from all that will, be, will distract so we look away from the distraction that leads you into doubt and you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And we fasten our gaze onto Jesus who birthed faith with us, who leads us towards or leads us forward into faith's perfection. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. If you've been distracted by the circumstance, use this moment, use worship. Use a simple prayer, Lord, help me to turn your gaze back to Jesus. He'll rescue you. The third trap is the emotions trap. And there's probably other traps, but Thomas comes to mind with this. Thomas, after the arrest of the trial, the brutal crucifixion of Jesus is in an emotional mess. He is in a state of morbid despair. And yes, circumstances can overwhelm us and unrealistic expectations or wrong expectations of what God's going to do can cause us to doubt. But sometimes we're just emotionally exhausted, wrung out by what we've gone through. And he's in that position. And the disciples say, we've seen Jesus, he's resurrected and still unconvinced. John 20 verse 25, still unconvinced. Thomas replied, there's no way I'm going to believe unless I personally see the wounds of the nails in his hands, touch them with my finger and put my hand into the wound in his side where he was pierced. 
These are not the words of a rational person. This is a person burnt out, emotionally drained, reacting, wanting something greater to anchor his faith. I love something that Henry Drummond said, a Scottish evangelist. Christ never failed to distinguish between doubt and unbelief. Doubt says, I can't believe. I'm struggling to believe. Unbelief says, I won't. Thomas is not saying, I will not believe. He's saying, I'm struggling. There's doubt about uh, the pain, the the emotion. I'm struggling. I want to believe, but I'm struggling. Doubt is honest. Unbelief is obstinacy. Doubt is looking for light. Unbelief is content with the darkness. Don't get settled in the dark. Jesus is the light of the world. He can lead you out of your doubt and into a place of confidence and faith. I love that in Jude, just one chapter. And verse 22, Jude says to fellow believers, be merciful to those who doubt. And if he's telling us to be kind to others who are struggling, we've got to know that Jesus is merciful to people who doubt. And I'm saying that because I want to break condemnation of people right now who are struggling with doubt. You've got the enemy whispering that God can't bless you, that God's not for you because you doubt. No doubt will either lead you to faith or to unbelief. And God will be merciful to you in the midst of your doubt, just as he was to Thomas, just as he was to Peter, just as he reaches out into your circumstance. Because even when you doubt, God shows up. And Thomas's doubts were demolished in a moment of revelation, an encounter with Jesus. That can happen to you in a few moments as we go back to worship. Then looking into Thomas's eyes, Jesus steps back into the upper room. Then looking into Thomas's eyes, he said, put your finger in the wounds of my hands. Yeah, put your hand in the side. If you need that to believe, do it. But Thomas, don't give in to your doubts any longer. Just believe. I want to give you three simple things as I land this. Of what to do with your doubt right now. I'm sure just hearing Thomas's story, hearing John the Baptist, hearing Peter's story, there's already some keys there. But don't be afraid of doubt, Samuel Coleridge said. If you have a disposition to believe. Did you catch that? Don't be afraid of doubt if you have a disposition to believe. Frederick Buchner said, doubts are like ants in the pants of faith. They keep it awake and moving. Doubt is just telling you're alive. You've got something to wrestle with and something where God wants to encounter you. So number one, admit your doubts. I love the story of the man who brings his demonized child to Jesus' disciples, while Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration for healing and they can't do it. And he's desperate. He's he's emotional. It's his child. I can only imagine the turmoil going on you. And he says to Jesus, if you can do anything, do it. Have a heart, have compassion and help us. Notice his honesty, his desperation. And Jesus says, what do you mean if? 
There's no ifs amongst believers. Anything can happen. And no sooner were the words out of his mouth than the father cried, then I believe, help me with my unbelief. Remember Samuel Coleridge's words, Never be afraid of your doubt if you have a disposition to believe. This guy had a disposition to believe and he's honest. He's, God, I'm struggling. Jesus, I'm struggling. Help me. And you know the amazing thing? Instantly, without any rebuke, without any condemnation, Jesus heals his son. Admit your doubts. Be honest with God. Ask for help. Secondly, if you got something from God, a word from God, act on God's word. Act on your faith. Make it a choice. Make faith a choice. It's not a, it has emotion, but don't turn faith into an emotion. It's a choice. Act on your faith and not on your doubts. It says of Abraham, and we could go into this, but we don't have time today. Hebrews 11, 8. Faith motivated Abraham to obey God's call to leave the familiar to discover the territory he was destined to inherit from God. So he left with only a promise and without even knowing ahead of time where he was going, Abraham stepped out in faith. I love that. He didn't even know where he's going. And then people, yeah, God's saying, step out. And you go, I want to know where I'm going. He says, no, just take the step. Start following me. I'll lead you into new territories, new opportunities. I feel like I'm prophesying that over individual lives, over relationships, over work and business situations, over life choices. Take the step of faith. He will lead you into new territory, places of blessing. And the final thing is God's got you. Get your eyes of yourself and get them back onto Jesus. If you do, you'll move from doubt to faith and then you'll be able to help others. See, I love the compassion of Jesus. Long before Peter, Simon Peter ever blew it, even though Jesus knew he would. Long before he'd made some wrong choices and Jesus had to come back and restore him from his failure. We talked a bit about that last week. He says to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you. Simon, so that your faith should not fail, so that when you've repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brethren. I love that. He says, Simon, I've got you. I know what's going to happen. You don't think it's going to happen. I know it is. But when it happens, you need to remember, I prayed for you. And the Bible says right now we have a great high priest who intercedes for us, who understands our weakness, understands our frailty, understands our doubt. As long as our doubt is leading us towards a disposition of faith, he will come and intervene and rescue you. One of the greatest prayers we can ever pray is the prayer of salvation, of accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible says, if you publicly declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will experience salvation. My question is, have you experienced this incredible salvation that Jesus Christ offers to you? Have you experienced it? <music> 